You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 125 of Take a Bow. I'm your host, Eli Tokash, and for episode 125, I wanted to spice things up a bit, so I couldn't think of a better way to do so than to drop the red carpet content that I've been able to gather lately and hopefully will be doing a lot more very soon. Um, I figured you can't really get this content anywhere else, Um, so why not give it to you all on a special episode which is 125, and uh, just kind of give you the rawness of it, especially uh, for those of you who like a visual. Um, checking this out on YouTube, it is already posted along with the audio, the podcast that you're currently listening to, obviously. So if, uh, you know, it's a red carpet, so there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people to talk to. I literally talked to every single person in this cast, as well as both directors of the show. There are two co-directors. Um, incredible stuff, incredible conversations, incredible answers to these questions. Um, some of these questions were sometimes hard to ask, uh, but I felt like it. we needed to go there and uh, ask those questions. So I'm very excited to share that with all of you. Um, but before we get to that, we have to talk about some Broadway news because it has been quite a week for Broadway uh, between a whole Lilius White over at Hadestown fiasco and then, of course, Miss Queen Patty Lapone coming to uh, social media saying that she gave up her equity card and is taking a break from the stage. All these things are happening, and even drama from 1776, the drama from the prom, for those of you who don't know, there's like a legit, I don't know if any of you know the story of the prom the musical, or even the prom uh, movie that uh, came out, it's the same story, obviously, um, but real stuff is happening uh, about all of them, so we have to talk about it because there's a lot to to break down here and catch you all up on. First, I guess we'll talk about Hades Town and Lilius White. So this week, this past week, an audience member was in the audience and was obviously hard of hearing. And Broadway shows offer, for those of you who don't know, offer these little devices that uh, will do closed captioning for what's being performed on the stage. Well, these devices look uh, and are in the shape of, you know, like a rectangular 
I guess, shape, which could like resemble a, a phone, especially when you're on stage and there's lights on you and you, you're trying to make it out, but you can't really tell what it is. Um, so Lilius Weiss obviously thought that this was a phone. Um, <laughs> it was not. And it was one of those devices. Because she thought it was a phone, she called the audience member out saying, I need you to put the phone away. She was made a few remarks at her, pointed at the audience member a few times and all the things. So it was, uh, it was, it was quite um, an uproar that came out of it uh, because a couple of the audience members, I don't know if the person themselves came out and like confronted them on social media or anything, but there were people in the audience that uh, took to social media about it. And now it's kind of created a movement uh, to teach people, especially the performers, that is, um, what is happening on Broadway and what is accessible to audience members because Broadway does try to make it accessible for all audience members, uh, but uh, maybe they don't give the performers the proper education on what uh, is being offered and what is currently out there that could be seen during a performance. Um, so that was something really interesting that I saw and uh, it's now created a little movement on Broadway which is great unfortunately something bad had to happen for a, a result in like better education on the accessibility that Broadway offers um, but nonetheless that happened and that was a whole thing this past week with Lilius White in Hadestown so then following that it came out, I, I, I noticed on social media from friends who were seeing the show, the next two shows, Lilius White was not in the show. And um, I, I'm not going to like come out here and say that that was like a suspension or whatever. It, maybe it was her just, she had maybe that scheduled or she had to take a break because she just felt so bad and she was mentally not in the right place. I don't know what was going on, but I can't help but think that those two uh, were connected in in some type of way. But uh, not, uh, either way, thought it was interesting. Thought you all may be, um, I don't know, find that interesting or or, or something. So uh, I wanted to share it with you all. I thought it was interesting. So I, I hope that... Um, you guys find it interesting too. Um, anyways, moving on, let's talk about um, Patty Lapone, Miss Patty Lapone. Oh my god, I don't know what was going on. She really took to Twitter uh, this past week and was going off on everything. Uh, just, uh, just the whole community here on Broadway and like the pressure that it has performing and that she just needs to take a break. She's giving up her equity card because she's not happy with what's going on and how everything's being handled and how oh, like a rant. I mean, she was just going crazy and she was saying that she needs to take a break from the stage. I don't know if this is Patty having a diva moment or if this is Patty being like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It, it, it could be, is this a retirement for Patty? Is this a little break for Patty? Like, I don't know. And everyone's been having, it, it's just been blowing up on social media. Everybody's talking about it. Who knows if we're going to be able to see Patty Lapone on stage again? Could company have been her last role? 
I don't know. I wish I had the answer, but I don't know. And it's crazy to think about that because it's crazy to think of Broadway without Patti LuPone. Um, but yeah, very strong possibility. And that's happening. Um, anyways, moving on. Let's talk about Almost Famous. So Almost Famous canceled their performance on October 18th, which was just a couple days ago. Um, but it, I, interestingly enough, they canceled their performances, and they never said for a reason. You know, they just said that they were canceling their performance. Now, the show is in previews, so this could mean a couple of things. It could mean, obviously, we live in a world of COVID, so there could have been a COVID scare. But they didn't say that um, we would be closing for an extended amount. They just said that they're closing for that night and it will reopen. It, the performances will get, be, get resume um, as scheduled on October 19th, the following day. So that could have happened. It was pretty close to showtime. So something could have been wrong with um, people like the cast members getting to the show in time. So there could have been a transportation issue. Um, there could have been COVID or it could have been just the fact that they're in previews and they are trying to work the show. They're trying to work the show. They're trying to get it to make sense. They're trying to, they're obviously doing rehearsals during the day. They're doing all these things and maybe, you know, they needed another night to work on a rewrite or to work on something. Or it was just that, like, they've been overworking their cast that they felt like they deserved the night off. It could have been a multitude of things. And it could have been uh, a couple of those things at a time. Um, usually, understudies, unfortunately, aren't, uh, and swings for that matter, um, aren't properly prepared for uh, to go on during a preview because um, they're really worried, they're really focused on opening the show and like uh, teaching the tracks to the people who are going to be doing it every night guaranteed um or i guess scheduled because it's i guess nothing's really guaranteed in anymore um but um so so if it was for like a transportation issue i totally understand why they had to cancel the show because you know maybe they couldn't get the swing ready in time like to learn a whole role you know, rewrites are happening all the time, so they have to relearn lines and all these things. It's just craziness in previews. So that totally could have been happening. Anyways, there's a multitude of things to happen. I've heard nothing but great things since this show uh, took its first bow here on Broadway in its first preview. The show does open on November 3rd, so um, I can't wait to see it. Like I said, I've heard great things, so I will definitely be there. And uh, yeah, so I, I don't think this is any cause for concern or anything like that. It may have been even scheduled with the cast that they kind of just announced to the audience the day of. I, I don't know. It, it was a weird thing. Um, people seemed worried, but it's nothing to worry about. It's it's totally okay, and performances have continued um, as scheduled. So uh, moving on, we have the prom drama. So okay. There's a school in New Jersey. This is this is actually like heartbreaking. There's a school in New Jersey that uh, wants to put on the prom, or that was the, the drama club said that this is what we were gonna do. We were gonna um, put on the prom for the for our school musical. Well, that was great. It was so exciting, and it was like this is where the prom is meant to be. Like it's 
meant to be performed at schools and like all these things. I mean, look at that story. It's literally about high school Um, and it takes place in a school. So like even better. So then New Jersey parents and parents of the school, they um, caused an uproar saying that this is not a story that my child should have to tell or have to go watch or anything like that. And they're uncomfortable that this, that they're putting on this show and that they think something that uh, another show should have uh, been chosen. Well, the principal of the school and like the board and everything got together and they were like, Oh, well, should we do this? Should we, how should we handle the situation? And, uh, come to find out, the principal of the school and I guess like the board, whoever was involved in making the decision did accept this um, show to be performed, which is so, so exciting because this is literally the message of the show of like how, you know, you can't be, go to a school dance with uh, a, a girl, can't go to a school dance with a girl uh, because it wasn't what you know, was in the community or whatever like that. It's not, it's not, um, it takes place in Texas. So like no offense to you Texans and you, um, friends and family in Texas, but, uh, it's not, um, as accepted or it's not as an accepting, um, of a place for, for the LGBTQIA plus community, like it is here in New York or, um, somewhere else. So, um, it's interesting, like, that's what, like, the parents cause an uproar in the show and blah, 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 and now this is what happened. And when uh, petitions went out to save the show, all these Broadway people came together, and now there's a ton of people, and especially from the original cast of The Prom on Broadway, are planning to now go see this show. There's a bunch of people in the Broadway community that are literally like, oh my god, we are going to dress up in our finest outfits, literally like The Prom, who like, from the producers and cast, like the stars and blah, 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 and go to this small town school in New Jersey to go support the performers that are going to be telling this sh- story and performing the show. So I'm excited. Hopefully I want to go like I, I'm, I'm now gotten so excited. Um, so that's been happening. And it was just like such a crazy yet heartwarming story because, you know, they prevailed and they're going to do the show and it's literally, we're living the story that they're, that the show portrays. Um, so I, I thought it was absolutely necessary to share. Um, some of you may not have cared, but like, I just wanted to mention it. And if, uh, you're in the area or like interested in going, you should absolutely go because you will not be alone in being like someone who's not in the school that's going to that show. I promise you. Um, okay. Last but not least, Okay, last piece of news. Sorry, this has been a long intro, but there's lots to talk about, lots of drama. The last piece of, uh, I guess, news for this week's episode comes from none other than the show that our episode is based from. Uh, So this 1776 has had a lot of drama offstage lately. Um, There's been a lot of drama between a particular performer who I did get to interview and you will be able to listen to her, some of her answers that she gave, um, or you'll be able to watch on YouTube. Sarah Porkalob, 
I believe that's how you pronounce her name. I apologize if I pronounce it incorrectly. Um, she is making her Broadway debut for the show. She came out and said that um, she was grateful with the uh, approach to this one, this this revival of the show. Um, but she made comments that you know there have been there has been harm done as far as racism in the room in figuring out this reimagined way of it. Um, she was saying that oftentimes it doesn't feel like she's excited to go to work. It feels like she has to um, really go in and um, if she, if she feels like she's doing a job. She doesn't feel like she's fulfilled telling a story um, is basically what it, what it said. And she said that, you know, with because of the diversity and how it was being told and everything, some of the decisions was were like cringy, she said, um, because they were trying so hard type thing. Um, so it was really, it was really interesting, um, how, how they, she kind of presented it. And she, she later apologized for, for her, for what she said and how she like said it. She, I didn't necessarily take the comments back, but she, felt remorse for saying that and felt like, you know, some of it was blown out of proportion a little bit. But um, nonetheless, she did say, you know, that it was like fake woke. She was saying it was cringy. She was saying all these things. And she was saying that um, she was doing, she, she felt like she had to do the show because it was going to bring her to Broadway and it was going to get her more followers and all these things. And it was just really, really odd um, how she presented it and and the thoughts that she said and then to really kind of apologize for it and kind of try to take them back. It wasn't a good look for the show. It wasn't a good look for Sarah herself. Um, it wasn't a good look for the creative team or anything. Like, it was rough. Um, but it, it seems like everyone... I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to comment on uh, what I'm I, I'm assuming because I'm obviously I'm an outsider to the situation. Jeffrey L. Page did take to Facebook and say like he he had some words to say. Um, they weren't um they were unpleasant. Um, they weren't they were you could say hurtful. Um, but he, he spoke his mind and he, he felt he was offended and he was trying to stick up for himself. And, uh, it seems it, it, reports have said that they've kind of hashed it out. They've apologized and they've figured things out, but who knows really what's going on over there at 1776. I'm going to tell you, um, from my vantage point, I obviously saw the show and I kind of told you all what I thought about it. And I just love the fact of how diverse it is and how, how beautiful it is the way that they've reimagined this story. Because the more I think about it, the more I really fall in love with it. Um, which is why I really wanted to have this whole Thursday episode dedicated to 1776 and this wonderful red carpet, uh, because we're, we have so many incredible conversations in this, um, little interview, it's, it's going to be broken up by question that I ask Cause I asked them all kind of the same question because how a red carpet works is you have about like four minutes with each person. Um, and then they just go right down the line to the other outlets that are going to be, uh, using some content. 
So I didn't have a lot of time. Uh, obviously, like the people I knew, I could uh, be a little more um, candid with, I guess you could say. Um, but it was it was a great time, and you'll see how it works. But the reason why I wanted to put this out there is because you really, like I said, you can't get this content anywhere else. I mean, for you all to get an inside scoop of what it's like to be on a red carpet and how that works and um, what what kind of happens and who you get to talk to and how it it all happens, you'll you'll really be able to see how it works if you watch the YouTube video. It's it's fun. It's a good time, uh, and uh, we talk to all the people and we have a great time. So look out for that. Um, you obviously can continue listening, but it's it may be more fun to watch on YouTube uh, just to get a visual of everybody because it may get confusing. Um, but nonetheless, it's great. And you're going to love these conversations. And everybody talks about how beautiful the show is and the, the diversity in the show and how everyone's really worked together. Um, obviously, they've had a lot of difficult conversations because of how diverse the show is. Um, and you really have to kind of be open with each other to to hit those points because the show is about, you know, 17 the time of 1776 where it was not as accepted to be diverse um and all of that so it's great um i will say on top of this there is going to be a bonus episode on sunday and that's going to be at the cost of living red carpet so stay tuned um I did that about like two weeks ago and haven't gotten a, around to to it um, as far as like editing it all together and getting it ready. But we are, I am on track to uh, have that released this weekend on Sunday. I will say the bonus episode is really important to me. Uh, we have, again, incredible conversations. These stories, uh, these two shows particularly are some of the future works of Broadway. Um, it's really going to be revolutionary to the future of Broadway. We we have some really important conversations uh, about the future of Broadway, its accessibility on Broadway that from a that we see as performers and hopefully as audience members looking at performers and all of that and how um, that there is room to grow and how there hopefully will be more work created for. Um, disabled performers and hopefully they will be represented in the right way that was a big conversation too the representation aspect and so much more so um definitely check that out that'll come out this weekend so stay tuned follow us on social media for those exact updates but um nonetheless that's all i have i've literally rambled and i've gone on too long so i will turn it over to our lovely interview Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. ...of the red carpet over at 1776. So without further ado, 1776, curtain up. Hi, I'm Crystal Lucas-Perry, and I take on John Adams. Hi, I'm Shona Hammock, and I play Richard Henry Lee of Virginia. I'm Gisela Adisa, and I play Robert Livingston. I'm Carolee Carmelo. I play John Dickinson. My name is Mary Eslaminia. I play Charles Thompson, the Congressional Secretary. Joanna Glushak, and I play Stephen Hopkins, the old drunk. My name is Becca Ayers, and I play Colonel Thomas McKeon, the Scottish guy. I play Thomas Jefferson, and my name is Elizabeth A. Davis. I am Tiffany Barbour. I play Andrew McNair, Congressional Custodian. My name is Liz Michael. My pronouns are she and her, and I play John Hancock. Yes, I'm Lula Picard. I'm playing Sam Chase. My name is Onika Phillips, and I play Joseph Hughes of North Carolina. But in fact, I am Onika of Grenada in the Caribbean. I'm Shelby Acosta, and I'm one of the standbys. My name is Sarah Porkolov, and I play South Carolina delegate Edward Rutledge. I am Salome B. Smith, and I play the Courier. I play Judge James Wilson of Pennsylvania. My name is Jeffrey. Page and I'm the co-director with Diane Paulus and I'm also the choreographer of the show. I'm Diane Paulus. I am the co-director of 7076 the Musical. I want to ask you about the process of kind of reimagining the show that is 1776 in this new way. Yeah, um, it's just been such an open environment where during the pandemic a lot of theater related issues with like gender and ethnicity was brought up a lot and this room is exactly what I picture the change in this industry to be. Everyone was open and and speaking about how they felt and how they felt being like me being Mexican in the room and how I bring that to characters and it's just a safe, a really safe space and I'm so excited to bring that to the show. I mean in a nutshell it has been wild chaotic and fulfilling. I think similar and yet so different from what these old white guys were trying to do in Congress. They were trying to create a brand new government for a brand new nation. And we, with this incredible inclusive cast, were really trying to create a new industry culture in the room when we were approaching this play. So we've definitely had our ups and our downs. And I think we're all so thankful to be here on opening night, knowing that all of the work that we put into it was happening in the rehearsal room, even while the audience isn't able to see that, they're able to see us on stage and that's pretty awesome. Well, I think for me personally, it wasn't hard because, and this is between you and me, I've never seen the show. I've never even seen the movie. And when uh, the invitation came in March from Diane to play Robert, um, I was tempted to, to watch the movie but I didn't. And I'm kind of glad I didn't because I would have had these preconceived ideas of what we're doing, like am I gonna be wearing a white wig and fully being this person, but no, with with uh, hers and Jeffrey's uh, iteration, reiteration of it, we are ourselves, we are heightened versions of ourselves stepping into the shoes of these dead old white men. Right. You know, and I am, I'm not white, and I'm not a man, so I'm going to bring my perspective to it, no matter what I do or how I try or how amazing an actress I am. It's still going to have an element of myself, which feels kind of naughty, 
It's just so different for like most projects I do, most TV and film, it's you drop, Gisela is dropped off and you have to be that character. So this has been really fun and, and yeah. also really challenging. Yeah. Honestly, to have um, Diane and Jeffrey's direction in this has kind of been the key point of it all. When you know when they kind of came up with the concept of reimagining this show, you know I think they brought together a really awesome group of people to do it because I think we've all done it with talent and grace and wisdom and like it's been a very collaborative process and I feel really, really lucky to be a part of it. Yeah, I will say even when my agent first sent me this, like in 2020, he was like, "Oh, you got you have a call to go in for Abigail Adams," and I was like, "What?" In what show? And he was like 1776, which I'd only seen once at the time and saw it very traditionally. And I was like, are you sure? Um, and, you know, so I was very intrigued by it just to begin with. Um, but it's been it's been really interesting to watch it and to see which different roles are played by which different people and why that would be significant and why it matters and who's saying what. It just it really does. You know, we don't think about it a lot, but seeing someone and listening to what they're say to what they're saying really does give you a different perspective and lets you hear the words differently it does um, and that's what we're certainly hoping to do is that you know just these words that were always spoke, spoken by white men how do you hear do you hear them differently how do you hear them differently do you want to hear them differently because there's all these different people saying them in the reimagining of this not only am i actually finding myself a little more interested in history because it's like how how do I access this in order to portray it to people that are like me? Um, but also, the reimagining has made me listen to things differently, see things differently, and on the theatrical side of things, I'm in a show that I never would have had a place in before. I read this script and felt like it was speaking to America today. And I knew in my gut that we could build a production of this show that was from the 1960s, uh, looking back at history from 1776, and make it feel like it was pulsing with America today. And that was my um, inspiration, to build a company of incredible actors that represent uh, multiple expressions of race, ethnicity, gender, folks that identify as female, trans, non-binary, that we could tell American history and invite an audience, right. not to just look at history as a relic from the past, but to hold at the same time a vision and a reality of America today. The whole concept for our production is that we have a troupe of actors who are alive and thriving in 2022. Yeah. And they have all this multiple representation of race, ethnicity, gender, trans, non-binary, female identifying, and we want the audience to see them. Yes. So we, we start with that, and then these incredible humans step into the shoes of the Founding Fathers, metaphorically and literally. <laughs> and I think by doing that, we're inviting the audience not to forget who they are. Mm -hmm. We're actually saying, can you as an audience hold two realities at once? Can you, can you hold the beauty of all these people who are reflecting America today right. and, and hear the text in you by, by holding their identity and hearing the words of Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and Edward Rutledge and the difficult, compromising, problematic things that happened that were part of the founding of this country. This whole journey started at the ART. Yeah. 
that was our artistic home where we could create this production. We played it for 10 weeks in front of packed houses and we learned about the show and then this opportunity to bring it to New York and go back into rehearsal and refine it and deepen it um, has been a total joy and, and, and super rewarding for the show. With every show that I've created ART, the journey to Broadway is exciting because it just gives you a chance to make the work better, to make it deeper, and to give the cast a chance to keep doing the show and introduce it to more and more audiences. Right. So it's been an incredible ride. Um, we were really lucky because the estates of Sherman Edwards and Peter Stone were super um, supportive of this production. And one thing I'm really proud of is uh, we wrote to Mary Stone, that's Peter Stone's widow, and asked if we could insert some of Abigail Adams' most famous words, which are, remember the ladies, all men would be tyrants if they could, you know. If you do not give us a voice and representation, we will foment a, re a rebellion. That, that was said by Abigail Adams in March of 1776. Peter Stone had taken Abigail and John's correspondence from their historical, historical letters and put it in the play. But these famous words were missing, remember the ladies. So we asked the estate, uh, that's Mary Stone, Peter Stone's widow, if um, we could add these words uh, in the spirit of how Peter constructed the script, take them from the letters word for word, and they gave us their blessing. So for the first time in 7076 history, we get to hear, remember the ladies. Um, it's been scary. It's been scary. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been, it's been, uh, you know, imagine, imagine something that's only an idea, that it, it doesn't have precedence. So therefore, you don't know how to describe it. There is no formula. So you have to, you have to find uh, uh, things that link. Um, so it's been a, a, a brain challenge, um, but it's been really, really exhilarating and awesome. Sure. All at the same time. Now, so I'm wearing, uh, I'm wearing this hoodie, yeah. and and it features the work of Jean-Michel Basquiat. And Jean-Michel Jean Basquiat was a was an artist who was daring and audacious and bold. Mm. He um, he disrupted uh, the the cultural norms. Um, uh, also, Titus Kafar is another artist. So, so all throughout this piece, we were looking at, at artists. We were looking at Jimi Hendrix. We were looking at ways that art exists in the world and ways that art uh, distorts itself in order to communi communicate something uh, new and something different, something bigger and bolder. And that was our guiding light. People like Jean-Michel Basquiat people like Jimi Hendrix, people like Titus Kafar, um, that was our guiding light. If you could change anything in the Constitution and Declaration of Independence, what would it be and why? I mean, that's a loaded question. Well, but. it's tough, right? Because I <laughs> yeah. don't want to, I never want to actually um, create any suffering to anyone. Mm. But I have to say that at this point, I don't actually want to change anything. Mm. That's crazy to say, right? But in the sense of one i know that i wouldn't be standing on the stage and it wouldn't it wouldn't carry the weight of of what happened obviously if there was a way to include you know enslaved persons as people there's that but i know that there is a lesson that has been learned and as we know history repeats itself yes. so if it wasn't going to happen then it was going to happen you know at some other time and 
one of the things that I'm actually excited to say, especially with myself, is that you can't take away what happened. You can't take away that these artists are doing this show in this time. And sometimes it's that, it's that cementing in history that is actually the most important thing to know how we move forward, right? So to change things at this point means that possibly we wouldn't be in this room. So I, I'm hesitant to mess with things and I'm only actually looking forward and learning from what history has taught us. Yeah. And that's actually the most important thing is oh that God. if we're not learning from it, then we're, you know, we're gonna repeat it. Slavery, I mean, I mean obviously the biggest one. Um, this podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. You know, it, that's a hard question just because the Constitution itself is just so... Uh, fine, fine. It's, it's such a singular thing that there's so many things that much bigger than the Constitution that I would have wanted to change and still want to change. Um, but obviously, the I, just anything eradicating slavery and the taking of this land from people who, you know, basically got eradicated, those are the things that I would have wanted to change in the first place and for that to have never happened. Absolutely. So, oh, it is loaded, <laughs> a lot of right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think that the you know the uh, wow, that is a tough question because we can all go to you know slavery parts and all those things kind of got overturned and the enslavement and you know Second Amendment rights. There's so many things I can't even I I couldn't even nail it down because that is I, there's definitely some room for improvement. I would probably be very specific about the Second Amendment. Mm. Um, because it pertained to guns that you need to like stuff that take minutes and you know by the time your your temper has gone down maybe you shot off one not 
not like an AR-15 or... So I would say that, over, generally speaking, I wish that the Constitution was seen more as a living, editable document according to the people that are living in that time. And as the people change and the zeitgeist change and the needs change, so does that document, but still with the essence of the original, which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, it's just this basic equality for all. Yeah. I know. There's, there's, oh, how much time oh, you got? No, well, it's not that. I was thinking, no, how many Twitter followers do I want to lose? No. Um, <laughs> if I could change anything about the Constitution, I wish there was a clause in it that described it as a living document. And that the realization that interpretations are normal and that, uh, you know, as the world changes and as communication changes, so many things, the definitions change and language does that. Uh, and we want language to be stagnant, but it just never is and concepts never are. And so in order to get into their heads, it's not, it's not possible. So I think that if there could be anything in the constitution, I wish that they had thought forward and said, maybe let's have a convention every 50 years and look at it again. Or maybe there's a way to look at it because I think that it can grow with us as we grow. We just have to learn to read it correctly. Oh my gosh. All of it. <laughs> I, would, I would probably, just including more colors and more genders and I would say an open mind. I would want people to go in more with an open mind when they were writing it. And that would shape the entire thing into something completely different if that had happened. Oh, I'd change everything. <laughs> I mean, I'd change everything. I mean, the reality is our nation is a nation that was founded on white supremacist ideology and what that has meant for so many people. And let's be real, white supremacy hurts white people too. So I would just scratch it and start all over again. I would definitely be a bit more detailed about um, how we're all created equal. I wouldn't just pick one thing. I would just like to remind the government and the people that these are supposed to be living documents. Yeah. That, you know, with the time, the people change and the people learn new vocabulary for what they need and what we're like and what we know. And so our documents that dictate our government and dictate our system should also change with us because nothing is supposed to stay the same. That's, that's nature. Nature is change, nature is growth. And so we should also change with that along with the documents. As a person of color in the show playing or having a scene partner with someone who fought against your rights, what has that process kind of been like for you as a performer? It's been interesting. I will say I lucked out um, playing Abigail Adams, who was with John Adams. They did not own slaves. And also playing John Witherspoon, who's a reverend, who, you know, I'm sure a man of the, not I'm sure, I know a man of the times, but he was a reverend. He also was from New Jersey. He also did not own slaves. So we are thankful for those who think so. I didn't have to like tap into myself and be like, ugh, this is awful. But being on, you know, it is, it is different in those scenes, those big delegation scenes when we're talking about what needs to be written, what needs to be added, what needs to be taken out, and thinking that these men really thought that they were doing the best thing at the time. And so, you know, we're talking about economy, we're talking about what's going to keep the country running, what's going to, you know, keep them having money, what's, what we're going to do because we're in, at war during, you know, during it. And it is really, you know, it's easier now because we've been doing it for a while, but at the beginning it was just, it was, it was a strange kind of, um, just like out-of-body experience to be like, wow, I am really in a room right now discussing whether or not slavery should happen. 
But that's an insane thing to even think about that I, obviously I don't want, I th but like, you know, to hear the history of it and to do have all the research that we had with our, you know, wonderful dramaturg Robert Duffley, shout out. Um, to like really get in the minds and the backgrounds of these men, like it's crazy to think that people, that they really thought they were doing the correct thing. That's what's nuts, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think ultimately, when I'm in the room as a person, first and foremost, not even so much as an artist, but as a person, I don't want to spend any of my energy worrying about the ghosts of like white people past who have tried to invisibilize and erase me. So when I'm in the room, I'm there really to empower myself and my fellow castmates and to reimagine what our culture could look like. So I, I would say it's a decision for me to be in the room and to feel empowered um, and to not really like care so much um, about my marginalizations because I don't want them to continue to affect me. Well, first of all, you know, the duality never escapes me yeah. while I'm on stage, right? Because I'm hearing somebody, t even myself, I'm, I'm advocating for the lives of African Americans and black Americans and enslaved persons, and I'm, I myself am one, right? So it's, it's very, very um, meta and out of body sometimes because you, you know, you're in a character, but you're also can't deny who you are. Um, being able to be surrounded by uh, these these artists and the conversations that have come up have literally just reshaped the way that I look at the world, the way that I look at myself, the way that I look at theater and the power of what it can do. Um, I find myself, you know, having conversations with my castmates that I would never have had otherwise because the material lends it to. You know, we started this project, well I was a part of this project back in 2019 um, when it had its very first reading and so all the way up until now, till now, Jeffrey and Diane and I, we've been having such, you know, intricate conversations about what it means to step into history in this way. Yeah. And so those, the, that dialogue, the, the research that we've done so that we're actually able to be informed and full when we step onto that stage in a way, knowing what we're carrying with us, um, it just informs everything that we do when we're stepping on to that stage. And so it's been, it's been an honor, it's been a privilege, and it's also just been really exciting getting to know a group of people that I would have never collaborated with in the, such a way right. because the show has never been done in this way. Well, I mean, I, I think that we've all, as we were rehearsing, you know, we, we laid a lot of things on the table and we had talks even two years ago when we were doing the Zoom workshop um, as to how, you know, those things were and we delved deep with Harvard professors and, and got a lot of things out in the open. Uh, so that allowed us to get in this rehearsal process with no bias. I don't think that there was any bias to begin with. Like everybody's in the community and everyone's a performer and creative and we're all around every kind of person thing on the planet so but to open those doors as to something that you might not normally talk about in a show on the regular was definitely I think an experience for all of us to be able to to lay everything on the table of how we really felt and not to have there was never any negativity or never any bias about it but just to be in a safe space to say what you feel and say how you feel about it and how it affects you and how you maybe grew up and other people that you know um, and to, to to like be okay with just like talking about it we don't all talk about it we really don't we just glaze over and then we see things on the news and, but to be able to just have conversations regularly you know I I, I have some pretty hard boundaries for myself as an actor. So there's the actor doing the work, uh -huh. right? And then there is the person who interacts with, with my fellow human beings and, and friends, actors who become friends. Uh -huh. um, so I have 
different processes in understanding that they're not one and the same, right? There is the information that has happened in the past and they are in those roles to depict that. And I understand that. So I, th them as persons, I don't create a feeling of, um, of uh, dislike right. um, or misunderstanding to them but certainly to the persons that they're playing and the persons that I'm playing, the person that I'm playing was a slave owner, mm -hmm. right? It's coming into an understanding that I have an opportunity to show who they were, but also what I think, who I think they were. Yeah. That doesn't happen often. Often it's like, here's exactly who they are and that's all you get. But I get to actually portray what I've learned, the research, the understanding that brilliant, brilliant men can also engage in, in, in depravity, in, in the owning of, of human bodies. But my fellow actors are doing exactly what I'm doing. It. They're displaying that and showing that and making that clear to the audience but I don't hold that against them, right. right? And then offstage, the process is understanding that it is depiction, right? right. And so my, you know, the wind down, the cool down, the release is important so that I'm not holding within my cellular <laughs> composition um, the detriment of some of the things that we're discussing. It's been interesting because I've actually been able to relate in my own personal life so much to this character and dealing with what all is happening in the world and just those things that are being counteractive against you. Um, it's been very eye-opening. It has also even allowed me to analyze my own life as well. How empowering has it been to be in a room full of female, non-binary, and transgender performers? I, I think that th there is an element of we're, we're taking for granted how wonderful the room feels. Or I, I know I have in moments taken for granted how wonderful the room feels. There are a lot of things that are just unspoken. There are a lot of things that you're able to just assume because you know people around you are understanding in kind of a visceral cellular way. Right. And that is helpful shorthand in a creative process because there's so much to do in a creative process when you're trying to build something this massive and this organic. In some ways it's like every other process yeah. and in some ways there's a lot of common uh, experiences that we have that we can bring in and have a shorthand to talk about just like any affinity group would have. So it's been wonderful to be with this multi-generational cast because the number of years of experience in the room and then people just coming into the business, the blend of that has been really, really fascinating. And we also have someone in the cast who's pregnant. Yes. You know, so it's kind of every variation that you can think of and it is a vibrant, stunning place to be. I wouldn't say it feels any different. However, what I will say is I'm very appreciative of Diane Paulus and Jeffrey Page um, having this vision and having the, um, having the guts to be like we're gonna do something different and we're gonna include everybody and we're gonna actually represent what this constitution is actually what the constitution actually should be america is a melting pot and that is what this cast looks like it looks like a melting pot
it's a really homey room. Um, also, I'm the youngest in the cast, so for me, I'm just like, whenever I'm not on stage, I am watching, watching, watching my castmates do their work, do their thing, and just like taking it all in, soaking it all in, learning from them. And it's 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 just a privilege. And you know, we're all friends outside of the show too, so we hang out and like, and um, everyone's just so friendly and so silly and so f and just wonderful. Well, what are you most excited for audiences to see? To see the whole show, yeah. to see this diverse, multicultural, um, non-binary, trans, female-born, however, cast, and to see the message that just comes from it, just from us being up there, uh, saying these words, and also the music and the singing is out of this world, and the orchestrations are now new, and people are on their feet yeah. after these songs and, and numbers that are brilliant. That's what I, I, I just think they're gonna be completely entertained and blown away. It's very thought provoking and moved. I'm excited for them to experience this normally all white men cast and experience it through the lens of different bodies, different genders, different colors all on stage. And hopefully that leaves them with an open mind and can step into the shoes of all of us and how we feel about the Declaration of Independence and see it being told through an important lens. What makes me really excited to, to the immigrants, to, to the non-American children, to, to the brown children that, that want to be in theater, like there are places. It's happening. You can be in the shows that you never thought that you could be in before. Take a Bow 1776. Oh my God. Just a blast talking to all of these wonderful and different performers um, from different backgrounds, from different stories. Just incredible stuff. And I'm so excited that I was able to chat with them. I was so honored to be there. Shout out to Polk & Co. Um, for inviting me and uh, representing Take a Bow and the Broadway Podcast Network. So that was a blast. Thank you for 1776 for having me. And thank you for these to these wonderful performers for having these wonderful conversations. Uh, they were so candid and open with me and I really, really appreciate it. And I hope that you all enjoyed those conversations and enjoyed um, kind of getting in more of an inside scoop of what it's like to be at a red carpet. I love these types of episodes um, just because you get to hear so many different perspectives about the same thing. Um, and granted, some of the, the answers were relatively the same, but all of them were different in their own way. And uh, for that, I think that you could really hear that in these conversations. So I wanted to include them all. And uh, I appreciate you all listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it. Come back next week because next week we have a wonderful episode. I believe if everything goes according to plan, it's going to be with a casting director. And it's a pretty big casting director, if you ask me. So very exciting for that. If you are an actor, performer, um, who is obviously auditioning and all the things, it's going to be a great episode for you. And if you're someone that wants to get involved in the like business side of the industry or not so much the business side of the industry, just like the, the creative side, the, the behind the scenes side of it, it's going to be a, 
incredible episode for you. So stay tuned and come back next week for some great stuff. Until then, stay well, and I can't wait to see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Have a great week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.